it's easy to think, oh, this is about stuff I have to do in order to be saved. And very clearly, the Word of God is not saying that. And we don't want to be saying that at Grace either. So don't hear us say, there are things you need to do in order to be saved beyond just believing in the Lord Jesus. However, James does say, and the Bible does say, that if you've been saved, that your life ought to show that. There ought to be fruit of that. And so that's what we mean by faith works. We are talking uh, tonight about chapters 4 and 5. And in James chapter 4, which you all heard about last week, there is this verse, verse 4, which says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And last week, the passage uh, around this verse was unpacked. We talked about how when we have uh, trials, when we have frustrations in between us and others, that it likely has to do with the fact that we want things for our own selfish gain. And that this, this reality of us being at, uh, at war with God, being enemies of God, is at play. But James, in the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, is going to give us a couple of other ways in which we can choose to be friends with the world instead of God. And so we're going to look at both of those tonight. First in uh, James 4.13, where he starts with this phrase, come now, and then he goes on to talk about arrogance, about pride and arrogance. And then also in James 5.1, where he says, come now, and then he talks about wealth. And so if you read back into the scripture and you say, what is, he, what is he talking about? I think he's pointing back here to this idea that if you are a believer, because he's writing to believers, if you are a believer and you are a true friend of God, that there is a way that you ought to act and there is a way you ought not to act. And if you are a friend of God, you should not act with pride and arrogance. You should not build up idols of wealth. And so he's pointing us to see those things for what they are. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, those two temptations that we have to forget God, to either put ourself or some other thing in his place, and then also two ways that we can know God, um, both his will and also his treasure, the things that he values, and then finally, two ways that we can be his friend. He says, if you're humble and if you're dependent on me, then we can be friends. And that is what James is directing us to if we are children of God, that we would not just be his children, be his servants, but in fact be his friends. So if you would pray with me and we'll, we'll do that tonight. Heavenly Father, I ask that we would listen to your voice tonight, that you would speak through this word, not my words, Lord, but your own. Holy Spirit, speak to all those that are gathered here. Help them to hear your voice, I pray. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. James 4.13 starts, uh, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. James is speaking to people who are planning ahead. You all know what it means to make plans, right? You all have plans. You may have spent some of today making plans. I was in the car this evening driving here and I was behind somebody whose plans had radically changed. I know that their plans had radically changed because they had an Iowa license plate and a Salt Life bumper sticker. You're in the wrong spot, right? 
It'd be like having an Iowa license plate and a Mountains, Please bumper sticker, right? Something has happened to change your plans. And so that's a reality for a lot of us is we see those plans that we have made or that we want to make and it becomes a focus for us, an everyday life focus for us. And James is saying, you all are doing this. You people who say that you're friends of God, you're doing this, you're planning. And again, uh, or, or not again, for the first time, let me say planning isn't the problem, right? Having a plan isn't the problem. But what does he go on to say? He says, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. So the, the problem isn't planning. The problem isn't being structured. I know a lot of you uh, are in jobs, you're in school. You have to have structure. You have to have plans. That's not the issue. The issue is when you forget that you don't know that you're, or when you don't know that you're a mist, that you're here today and gone tomorrow. James says, let's think about who we are. Let's just take a minute and think about who we are. We're just a breath, it says in Ecclesiastes. We're just a mist. We're just a flower that's maybe beautiful today, but tomorrow it's going to be fuel in the fire. So think about what you are and any plan that you might want to make, put it in that context. You are here for a second. So you probably don't know which plan is best. If you do think you know which plan is best, it's probably from pride. It's probably from pride that you're saying, I know what's best for me, especially if you get to the place where you say, I'm the only one who knows what's best for me. Because at that point, you've cut the master planner out of the equation. And again, James is writing to believers. He's writing to people who say, I believe that there is a God who made the universe. I believe that there's a God who made every one of us, who formed us, who knit us together in our mother's womb. Before we were, he knew us, and he had good works planned for us to do in advance. He planned for us. That's the God these people say that they believe in and that we say we believe in if we believe in him. And so if we can say, I know better than that God, there's a problem. That's pride. That's arrogance. Come now, he says, isn't that getting in the way of your relationship with God? Do you want to be his friend? Then you can't do this. And in this case, pride is tempting us to forget God entirely by putting ourselves in his place, by saying, I don't need to think about God because I've got this covered. I've got a better plan. God, you should see my planner, right? It's full. I've used highlighters. I've used stickers. It's great. It's perfect. You couldn't do better than this, God. But we all know from experience that God's plans are not our plans and that he has directions for us that we would not choose for ourselves. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we want to trust him? Do we want to trust the God who made the universe? Do we think that he might have it figured out better than we do? It's the question that James is asking us to consider. Come now, also consider this question. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. I know that, especially in this congregation, when many of the people who attend here are students, work for the university or in and around the university, you might feel not rich. <laughs> you might feel poor sometimes, right? But we are absolutely rich, not just in this congregation, but certainly in this country, more so than any other nation in the history of mankind in terms of access to so many good things. And it is very tempting for us to lay up for ourselves treasure, 
Just like the believers in James' day, it is tempting for us to gather resources to make our lives more comfortable, to ensure that our last years will be the most comfortable. And so James says, well, what are you going to do with that when it's speaking against you, when it's rusting and it's corroding and you've piled it up and that's where you put your heart? What are you going to do with it when that's speaking against you? Do you realize, come now, do you realize that God has given you that wealth as a gift? He wants you to use it to glorify Him. He wants you to use it to bring others to know Him. So what are you doing storing it up? Why are you making piles of money? It is going to be an idol for us. Wealth is going to tempt us to forget God just by being shiny and being pretty and being something that we can uh, put our heart into. And it doesn't have to be extreme wealth, right? You might take pride in the fact that you can get by with less than other people. But that's not the point, right? It's not how much wealth. It's just whether or not you're trusting in wealth or you're trusting in the Lord. And so this is another example of how we can forget God, of what we can put in His place. James doesn't want us to forget God. He says, these are temptations. Come now. Isn't it true that if you are a friend of the world in these ways, you're going to forget God. You want to be a friend of God, so we need to know Him. So instead, going back to 4.15, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. We will live and do this or do that. I know for all of you, that you have morning routines. Some of them is uh, make the morning last as long as possible. Some of them are ignore the morning entirely. Don't get up before noon, right? Lots of different morning routines. Some of you have children you can't sleep in. You haven't been able to sleep in for years, right? Just not even a possibility. Imagine if you started every single morning with, if the Lord wills, this day will continue. If you added that to your morning routine, how would that change your perspective on who you are and what you're planning. James says we ought to say this, if the Lord wills, we'll live, and then after we're alive, right, after we have breath for another day, we'll do some stuff, but only if God wills it. As it is, he says, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think a lot of people are scared by that verse because they they think, okay, I have to trust in God so completely. I have to know Him entirely. I have to believe that it's His will alone that I live and move and have my being, all that kind of stuff. But then also, if I know the right thing and don't do it, I'm sinning? And it's very clearly what Scripture says. But it's only scary if God doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do. Right? If He tells us what we're supposed to do, then we know the right thing to do and we can do it. But if he doesn't tell us, then we don't know the right thing to do and we can't do it. So does God tell us what his will is? Does he show us? He does. And if you've not read this or you find it hard to read this, I want to help you this evening. Because there are lots of ways in which God shows us his will. Here's a whole bunch of verses. There are lots of other verses that you could read that are going to talk about what God's will is. But I picked a couple to go through tonight because... I want us to have this understanding that when James says, if the Lord wills, we can know what God's will is. 
So Proverbs 3, 5, most of you have, have heard this verse if you spent any time in the church. It's trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. That's God's wisdom for us and his will for us is that we would lean on his wisdom and not ours, his understanding and not our own. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is God's will for us. He wants us to have a mind that's transformed. He doesn't want us to be friends with the world. He wants us to be transformed by his Holy Spirit. That's his desire for us. Micah 6, 8, it's more explicit yet. He has told you, O man, what is good and what's the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 28, 19, 20, likewise, very explicit. Go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And then 1 Peter, this is an amazing verse, right? It is the will of God that by doing good, we should silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is God's plan for us, that we would do good in this world, and that good would silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's not just saying the right thing the loudest that silence, silences ignorance. It's not just saying the right thing in the right place to the right people the loudest. It's in fact doing good. That's God's will, that we would do good in the world and that people would look at that and they'd have no response in their foolishness for the good that God is doing through us. And then finally, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is his will that we live and move and have our being in him and act in him. And so our choices are his choices and our will is his will. We're conformed to him. We spend a lot of time thinking about which choice is the right choice. Where should I go to college? What program should I apply for? What, what job should I pursue? Who should I marry? What should I do with my life? God, just show me your will. We spend a lot of time on those questions. And I think that we spend too much time on those questions because ultimately God wants us to just love and serve him. And that can look lots of ways. That can look like moving to one country for a while and then moving back here. It can look like going to a state or a school that you think is the right one and finding out that it's not the right one long term and moving back. And that's all right. Because ultimately you're just trying to follow God's plan. You're just trying to listen to his voice. And so putting all of that desire and all of that hope and all of that frustration into picking the exact right spot, I don't know that it's doing us any good because that's our will, right? That's our pride. That's our arrogance that says we have to get it right the first time. And we ought to be saying, if the Lord wills, Lord, direct me, Lord, lead me. With wealth, he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. If you don't have money and if you don't have employees and you're not paying people to mow your fields, it can feel like this verse is not for you. But if you have any resources whatsoever, God does want you to be a good steward of those resources. And so it is valuable still to listen to what he says to people to whom he has given things. And he has given all of you much. 
There is health in this room. There is wealth in this room. There's knowledge and education in this room. Okay? And so while it's true that maybe you don't have laborers who are mowing your fields, he does not want you to sacrifice relationships and righteousness in order to build up wealth for yourself. And so he wants you to be careful of that. Don't be a friend of the world in this way. The world says this is the way to go. Store up for yourself as much treasure as you can so you can do all of the things that you want and guarantee your own safety, your own happiness. And James is saying, no, don't do that. The righteous people are going to fall down. You're going to be sacrificing the righteous in favor of these idols that you built up for yourself. So don't do that. Allow God to use you to provide for others. And I know that Grace Community Church downtown is generous. Jason has told me many stories of how you all have provided for each other in your community groups. And as a collective body, you provided for needs here in this uh, sanctuary, in this group, but also needs on campus, all kinds of needs. So you are a generous body. But this isn't just about providing when Jason or somebody else says, hey, we, we have a need, come and provide. This is about a way of life. Here's what it can look like for somebody among you. When I was uh, about 30 years old, I got my first administrative job. I was going to be a head of a K-12 school. It was great because, right, I'd gone from being a teacher to being an administrator. So I'm getting all the money now as an administrator. But it was a K-12 Christian school. I don't know if you heard that part. So they don't pay staff there. And as a result, I got none of the money. But we had four children, and we needed some, right, to, to feed those kids. And so I didn't have what I needed. And people in that community didn't wait for me to say, hey, uh, we don't have enough from this salary. They just gave to me. And that was necessary. We needed that. And that was just people taking what they had been given and providing for me, wanting that relationship, wanting that to be more important in their life than what they had stored up for themselves. And that's a hard thing. That's a difficult thing to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to give this to this other person. Even when that person is working, even when that person appears to be doing everything they can to take care of themselves, it's hard to entrust what we have, giving it to others. But that's what it can look like. It can look like lots of other ways too. You guys can all provide for each other in many ways and know God better through doing it. But God doesn't just want us to know him. He wants us to befriend him. He wants us to be close to him. So I said, this verse can be scary. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It can feel like condemnation because we all know that there are things that we know we should be doing that we're not. So if there's no grace, if Jesus doesn't die on the cross, then this is a scary verse. But there is grace. Jesus does die on the cross and he does say to us, come to me, lay down your burdens, and take my yoke on you, and I'll give you rest. You just have to be humble enough to say you're not God. Be humble enough to say you're not Lord, I am, and you've got this. I've got you. So it's from pride and arrogance that we're going to choose the things that we know are wrong when we know that God is offering us free grace. But it does take humility. We have to be humble enough to say I don't know what's best for me. I don't know which plans are best for me. God, I think I know which plans are good for me. I'm going to try and glorify you with what I'm, what I'm doing. But if you tell me to do a 180 and go the other way, I'm going to do that because 
you are more important than me. But that takes, again, humility. Proverbs 3, um, I mentioned 3, 5 earlier. I'm going to read 3, 5 through 8 a second because it's encouraging, I think. Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's what I quoted earlier. 6 says, In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. Be humble. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's true. When we trust in ourselves, when we try to make our own plans, when we try to ensure our own plans, it beats us down. It burns us out. We cannot do it. We cannot hold on to our own plans. They always fall apart. But if we stop trusting in ourselves and are humble before the Lord and say, Lord, lead me, direct me, guide me, it's nourishment, it's healing for us. Similarly, if we make idols of wealth, if we put wealth in God's place, right, we are going to condemn and murder the righteous and they won't resist us. They'll, they'll fall down around us. The people that we're supposed to love, we will attack when we put wealth in God's place. We cannot be a friend, right, of both the world and God. And so if we are a friend of the world and money and the things of the world, we will attack the righteous as a result. Unless, unless we're dependent on God's provision and we invest in treasure. That's his plan for us. It's his desire for us that we would invest in eternal things, in relationships, in loving one another, in building up the body of Christ. Many of you uh, know this passage from Matthew. I'm just going to read a few verses here from Matthew chapter 6, um, where Jesus uses the same language that James is using, further evidence that James is well aware of what Jesus has said because James uses the same analogies that Jesus uses. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth uh, nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. And then he concludes this section with verse 24. Very much like James says, you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And here, because he's talking about wealth, he says you can't serve God and money. So being dependent on God's provision, it's, it's hard, right? When we were in that administrative job and we had just had baby number four, my wife looked at me and she said, we cannot continue in this job for very long because it will not pay us what we need. And it's true that we were receiving money from people in the congregation and people in the school community. They were giving us anonymous gifts, but that's not the best case scenario. And so we said, God, we really need more to feed the children that you've given us. We think it's good that they stay alive. And so we want to feed them food. And so please provide for us. And so I applied at jobs and I applied up here in Iowa City to a job and they brought me up here and they said, yes, we really like you, but we're not going to hire you. And so we went back to Missouri and we stayed in Missouri for another nine months. And we just trusted for nine months. And we had no other plans and we had no other job opportunities and the pay wasn't getting any bigger and our kids were still hungry, right? They still needed to eat. 
And then nine months later, that company called me back and they said, oh, actually, we do have a job. We'd like you to come right now. Start working as soon as you can. Was not our plan, but God absolutely provided. And it was only in our dependence on him that we saw that need met. We could have worried all nine months and it wouldn't have done us any good. It wouldn't have made things any better or happen any faster, but God absolutely provided for us. So Jesus says this about being God's friend. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you and greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And no longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. I read a bunch of verses. I gave you a bunch of places that you can go in scripture. You can look at all of Scripture and see Jesus seeing the Holy Spirit making known what the Father has told him. So we have access to all of that. And it's true that if you read this, God will use it. But you don't just have to read it. You can also look at the life of Jesus and see what he does. How does he lay down his life for his friends? Very real, physical, right after this conversation with his apostles, disciples, he lays down his life for his friends, right? Very practically, very tangibly. But in many other ways, he is giving himself to those who love him. And so Jesus is showing us what it means to be a friend of God by doing it himself. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he would give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is a better plan than the one that we have for ourselves. The plans that I make for myself are things like, I think I want to have ice cream tonight. Right? That's a decent plan, but it's not going to save any souls. Right? But those are the kinds of plans we make for ourselves. I think that I want to go to this place and get a job. I want to go there for a year, maybe make some money. Those are the kinds of plans that we have for ourselves. But we're only here for a minute. If you have children, if you have even younger siblings and you've watched them grow up, you know that it's very fast. In the moment, it doesn't feel fast, but in fact, it is very, very fast. And you also, if you're paying attention, are getting older, right? You look in the mirror and you're not quite the same as you were yesterday. It's very fast. And the plans that God has for us in this brief time are so much better than the ones that we have for ourselves. So. He's calling us to be his friend. He's calling us to lay down our lives for one another and to love one another and to let that be a testimony to the entire world. 